Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, everyone. Today, I am chatting with Erin from Food Science Babe. Erin has a Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering from the University of Minnesota and has worked in the food industry for more than 10 years in both conventional and natural organic sectors as an engineer food scientist. Erin debunks a lot of misinformation about the food industry over on her Instagram and TikTok accounts, which I will link in the show notes. In today's episode, we talk about how important it is to buy organic. What is GMO? Should I pay attention to the non-GMO label? What labels should I care about? And more. If you want to dive deeper into some of the topics we cover today, I will link a few of her videos that she's put together on these topics in the show notes as well. Here we go. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, Erin. We're excited to have you tonight. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So I have to tell you, this is uh, a podcast recording that I've been really excited about, and I know very little about the topic that we are talking about tonight. And we are going to be all over the board as far as talking about the food industry and organic versus non-organic and GMOs and all the things. So I figured we should probably start off with just talking about, I know that you had told me that you originally were somebody who was really into you know, buying organic and you kind of went the other way. So I'd love to hear more about that. What is it about that label that makes it so... It's just, it's, it's one of these like keywords that people see and they're like, oh, I have to buy, I have to buy all that. I can only buy, you know, my fruits and veggies as long as they're organic or at least they're from a local farm. So I'd love to touch base on that. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I would have considered myself, I would say 10, 15 years ago, you know, an organic foods consumer. Um, I, I guess I didn't really, I guess, look into a lot of the research. I just assumed it was healthier you know, I was able to afford it. So I was just like, why not? You know, I I guess I didn't really think twice about it. And I just, I think like most people assumed it was healthier. It really wasn't. So I have my uh, bachelor's in chemical engineering and out of college, I started working um, in the food industry, more in an engineering position. But shortly after that, realizing I wanted to be Um, more in product development, like the food science um, side of things. And so I started working 
more in that in product development, research and development, things like that. So it was really when I started working in the food industry. So when I first started, I was at a large conventional ingredient company. I ended up seeking out a more like natural company because that sort of aligned with my beliefs at the time. Um, so then I started working for this really small startup and I was involved with getting a lot of their products like non-GMO verified, organic certified. And it wasn't really until I started doing that, that I sort of started questioning those labels because, you know, it wasn't necessarily that our products were that I had to like make them healthier, you know, in order to be getting these labels. It was kind of just like, make sure you're sourcing these specific ingredients and sending in a bunch of paperwork. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of money involved, a lot of paperwork involved. And then you're able to put these labels on the front of the package. And so, you know, I was involved in a lot of the marketing meetings and it was never really a discussion around like, oh, let's do this because it's healthier. You know, it was like, who's our target market? Will they pay more for these labels? And so I just started kind of questioning it at the time, not really still like not looking, you know, much more in depth about it, still sort of purchasing organic when I could because still assumed that it was healthier, sort of planted a seed though. I was kind of like, well, maybe this isn't what I think it is. And it wasn't really until I had my daughter um, now five years ago that I just really started realizing like how much of this marketing is specifically targeted towards moms of young children. And it was bothering me and it was like, okay, do I really like, do I need to feel guilty if I'm not buying organic for her? Like, do I need to spend more money? So at that point in time, I was like, okay, I want to actually like look into this more. And that's sort of when I started realizing like, oh, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was. Like, it's not really meaning that it's healthier. You know, one of the things I always thought was that it was better for the environment and, and like, it's not necessarily better for the environment. You know, also working in the food industry and having that background too, and just sort of realizing what I knew about being in these marketing meetings and stuff. And so, yeah, I kind of just started realizing like, wow, this is just really a marketing label. <laughs> like it's not, it's not meaning healthier. It's not safer. It's, it's not better for the environment in most, in some cases it's actually worse. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's sort of what changed me. And so now, you know, I decided to start my page too, because there is so much, you know, even I was believing a lot of that misinformation, you know, 10 or so years ago, even after getting my chemical engineering degree. So it is really difficult to find evidence-based information. Like there's just so much misinformation. And I feel like there's a point where you just see something so much, you just assume it has to be true. Yeah. So I just kind of started my page because I didn't see, I saw a lot of debunking in like other areas, but not as much in the food space. So that's sort of why I started my page too. So can you explain to us what's required for a company or, you know, a farmer to put something, to label it as, as being organic in, in the grocery store? Like what are the requirements for that? Yeah. So there are requirements as far as like farming practices. Um, so one of the, I think one of the, probably the biggest misconceptions surrounding organic is that people think that pesticides aren't used. And 
Um, that's not true. I mean, obviously, organic farms are going to have the same pest pressures as a conventional farm. These aren't, you know, areas of the world where there's like no bugs or weeds or things like that. So obviously, like, they are going to require some sort of pest management. So, you know, there are pesticides that are approved for organic. So it's it's just more of a system of, I, I would say, like more restriction, because if you think about conventional farming, like they can use synthetic pesticides and the same natural ones that are approved for organic. So they have more tools in their toolbox, essentially. And I know it's really difficult to understand, too, that natural, you know, that doesn't mean that it's safer. There are synthetic uh, pesticides that have been developed that are much better for the environment than like than what the organic farmers have to use because they are restricted to a set of natural pesticides. And a lot of times those can be less effective. So you have to use them at higher doses. You know, they're more persistent in the environment, so they can be even worse for the environment. So there are there are regulations that, um, you know, farmers have to follow. There's specific like ingredients that aren't allowed in organic products. GMOs aren't allowed, but these things, you know, again, like it is a marketing label. If you go like on the National Organic Program website and just as a, you know, a regular consumer reading through it, everything sounds better. I mean, you know, you just assume natural is better when it's really not. You kind of assume all these things mean it's better or healthier in some way, but in reality, it does not translate to healthier. Um, you know, there have been large studies that have been done on the nutrition of conventional versus organic, and there's really no meaningful difference in the nutrition. So, and as far as like pesticides go, our entire food supply is incredibly safe from a pesticide residue perspective, whether, whether it is coming from an organic farm or a conventional farm. The pesticides that are used in any sort of any farming practice are highly regulated. The USDA actually regularly tests residues to ensure that they're below the safety levels. And, you know, 99% of the time, they're hundreds to thousands of times below the safety levels that are set. So I also don't want like when people hear like that organic uses pesticides, they just immediately assume like, oh, it's bad, just like conventional. But in reality, like they're both very safe in terms of like pesticide residues. So it's not a bad thing that organic uses pesticides. It's just that that is a huge myth. But yeah, I mean, overall, our, we have an incredibly safe food supply. So there really isn't any, um, you know, nutritional or safety reason why you should be purchasing organic. I mean, if, if somebody has a specific, you know, local farm that they like that happens to be organic, like I'm never going to say don't purchase it because it's, it's safe food. I, I would just say like, if you're buying it out of fear, which is sort of what I was doing, you know, I was like afraid if I was buying the conventional strawberries that they had just tons of pesticides on them. And that's just not true. So if you're buying the label out of fear, I would say like you don't have to do that. But, you know, there's certain products that I just like that happen to have the label and I still buy them, but I don't buy it specifically for that label. So that makes me curious. Are there any products that 
you would recommend buying organic specifically or like it's really doesn't matter? There's really not. One of the things that I've talked pretty extensively about too on my page is the the dirty dozen list. And Oh yeah, I had a lot um, of questions about that. <laughs> yeah. So like that was one of the things that I, you know, a long time ago when I just thought it was probably healthier, like I would always make sure those ones I would buy organic because I was afraid that the conventional ones were they make it sound like, you know, the the conventional is just covered in pesticides and you have to buy these organic ones, but First of all, so the EWG, the Environmental Working Group, is the organization that's that puts out the Dirty Dozen every spring. It's important to understand that they are largely funded by the organic industry and organic companies. So really their goal is to get people to buy organic. So what they do is they come out with this list every year. They don't take any of their own data. They're using they're actually using that USDA data that I had mentioned before. And it's really kind of frustrating because that data is showing us consistently year after year how safe our produce is from a pesticide residue perspective. And they're taking that data and they're scaring consumers over safe produce. So I'm just going to make up an example. These wouldn't be real numbers, but let's say strawberries had like six different pesticides, different chemicals detected on it. And then let's say blueberries had like four. So they make their list based on the number of pesticides detected, but they don't take into account at all the fact that the dose is super, super small. So they're not taking account into account the dose at all. They're just saying like, this one has this many pesticides that were detected. This one has this many pesticides. And like, if you're not taking dose into account, that doesn't make any sense from like a toxicology perspective, because we're talking about super low doses. And the other thing that they don't do either is they don't include organic in their analysis. They make their list based off of the conventional pesticide residues detected, and they just completely disregard the fact that yeah like they don't even mention that organic will have pesticide residues as well and they don't include that in their list at all um so they make this list they make consumers afraid of those specific fruits and vegetables so that they'll buy them organic and it's it's also really frustrating because negatively impacts specifically low-income populations that can't afford organic So now they're going to the store and they're afraid to buy these conventional ones because they've seen this list. So they just, I mean, there's actually studies that have been done that show that they end up buying less produce overall because they can't afford organic or they do try to buy organic and then they just can't buy as much of it. And so it really, I mean, it is a harmful list, which is why I try to debunk it every spring when it comes out because I mean, it's also not fun to have all that anxiety. I know I I used to eat probably a lot less fruits and vegetables when I did buy organic because, you know, A, it's way more expensive and B, like I had so much anxiety over it when it's like, those are the things like most Americans need to be eating more of. So like be scaring people about it is just, it's ridiculous. Right. So what are your thoughts on like overall of the EWG. I mean, I know you specifically talked about the Dirty Dozen and how they come up with that every year, but they 
I always get questions about the EWG. And so I'm just curious your thoughts about them as a whole. Like, do you trust them? Do you use them as a resource? I would never use them as a resource. You know, I'll never just dismiss them and say that's the EWG. Like, you know, I'll I'll always take a look at it because there could be, you know, every once in a while there could be something there. But the overall thing with them, you know, I mean, the biggest thing is to understand their bias, which you can't just completely disregard them because of that. But you have to at least take that into account. Like they are trying to get you to buy organic. So understanding that I think is important. But a lot of it is even if so the issue, the big issue I have with them is like, even if there is some small a bit of truth to something, they always present it in such a sensationalized way. So I think a good example would be like there, I don't know if you've seen anything about the like forever chemicals. Well, that actually that was consumer reports, but I know EWG has done something similar, um, like the PFAS, PFOA, those forever chemicals, like in different sparkling waters and stuff. That is an area of research that like we we need to explore and like we are, and it's something we, you know, need to gather more evidence on. One thing too, is like, we have better detection methods now that we can detect super, super small amounts of chemicals and things. So I think like a lot of times, sort of, like I said, with the dirty dozen, they just completely disregard dose and they'll be like, this was detected in this and sort of to get consumers like afraid. Cause a lot of times like they want them to sign a petition um, or something like that. When in actuality, it's like, yes, this is something we should be, you know, like cognizant about, but like, we don't need to be afraid necessarily that these things are being detected. So I think, I think a lot of times it's just like they blow things way out of proportion to get, to get people's attention because they want them to sign a petition but it's really just can it's just creating so much consumer fear over things that like a lot of times we don't really necessarily need to be afraid about so yeah that's the issue i have with them i i personally don't ever use them as a resource and i whenever somebody does cite them i always make sure to like take a look at it cuz a lot of times it is just really sensationalized so is that sort of what's happened as far as like the baby food pouches and the jars and the heavy metals and all of that, it's just a, it's just a classic sign of, you know, there was trace chemicals found in here and we're just going to like, because that comes out every year too, right? Yeah. So like, so once again, I think it is something, so they try to get like the FDA's attention by essentially like scaring consumers. So consumers will you know, signed petitions and things like that. And some of the, some of the heavy metals that were detected, the FDA hasn't necessarily set limits on, or they have set limits and they wanted them to review those limits. So I don't think that's like necessarily a bad thing to push them to set limits and for them to be regulating companies a little bit better. Um, Cause I know when I looked at that report, it was like the companies were just voluntarily testing these foods. And so I think there is a lot of room for improvement as far as the FDA, like setting limits, um, companies having to test lots and make sure that they're under those limits. However, the part that is frustrating is 
the way they reported it was like making everyone just afraid of all these baby foods. And like, it wasn't the fact that like they were at toxic levels. Like it was just, it was just, again, like trying to get attention to the FDA, like, Hey, we need to regulate these things better, which I agree with, but the levels weren't super high or alarming. Like I looked at the data and I was like, well, there's nothing really here to be alarmed about, but it was mostly all about like, we want the FDA to, to, to regulate this more, which I totally agree with. I just, the way they get consumers attention again, is just so sensationalized. And, and then you have people like literally afraid, afraid to, you know, feed their babies the food that was in the report when in reality, like it was still safe. So yeah, and it just makes it such a high stress situation. Because I mean, as a mom, already, you know, you have so many things you're worried about so many things you're stressed out about. And then you find this, you know, article that's like, Oh, by the way, everything you were feeding your baby, (laughs) you shouldn't be right. That's what's so frustrating about it. Because it's like, yes, there is some truth there to like, we like we do need to regulate these things better. But that isn't to say that everything they found was unsafe. Like that wasn't the way they were kind of portraying that like wasn't really true. So yeah, and it's so hard as a you know, as a mom to especially like if you're if you're feeding your baby one of these brands, and all of a sudden you see it in there, and you don't really understand how to evaluate the data. And it's like, you're just gonna throw it away, which like, yeah, I mean, it's it's frustrating that that's that's what they're making parents do when, you know, the message should have been like, hey, we we want to make sure these are being regulated better. But don't worry, like your food isn't unsafe, but it's like you don't get attention by doing that. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Let's switch gears just a tiny bit and talk about what is a GMO, because I don't know that everybody know, like I'm I'm a little bit confused as to like I see non-GMO on a package I'm like I don't I don't know I don't really yeah. like it doesn't really sway me either way you know like I'm just I don't like educate myself a, about the food food industry like a lot so I'm just very confused as to why it matters and I know I've seen your page and seen you talk about it so I'd love for you to mention that here. Yeah, so GMO is really a term I don't like. (laughs) It's not a scientific term, but essentially what has happened is, so the non-GMO project is the one that is the organization that started those non-GMO labels. So basically um, you, if you source ingredients for your product that are non-GMO, you pay them a certain amount of money you submit like your your formulation to them, they will give you a label or approve your product so you can use the label on your food. Now, they arbitrarily defined GMO to only include products that have been or crops that have been modified in very specific ways. So if we look at, you know, our just farming as a whole and crops as a whole, virtually everything we consume nowadays has been genetically modified in some way, whether, you know, it's um, selective breeding, which farmers have been doing for thousands of years. There's even something called mutagenesis, where you subject um, seeds to radiation and chemicals to induce mutations. You know, all those like older ways of modifying crops that are very random, very inefficient, 
those would not be considered GMO. So they've made it so GMO only refers to these more modern ways that we can modify crops. So like we can literally go in and change one gene. Like it's so much more efficient. The outcomes are a lot better controlled. And they have defined GMO to only refer to those more modern ways that humans can modify crops, even though we have been modifying them in different ways for thousands of years. Also, these more modern ways are much more regulated. So for a GMO to bring a GMO to market takes an average of 13 years and somewhere around $120 million. So the way of creating a GMO or the methods used um, are, are just way more regulated And really what matters is the end product and the end product is what is going to be tested for safety before it's approved for the marketplace. So it really doesn't matter in terms of, you know, the safety of the end product, which method was used to get there. Um, So it's just kind of arbitrary, like the way they've defined it. And, you know, again, I think it's largely based on the appeal to nature fallacy, just sort of like organic people thinking that you could say those more natural ways of modifying, even though like humans are the ones that are making it happen either way. But yeah, I think it's just like they, they arbitrarily defined it because these more modern ways are scarier, more difficult to understand. People don't really, you know, understand it. And so they've created this label to basically say like these it's, it's just so arbitrary when you understand genetic modification, like it's just so arbitrary that it's like only these specific ways are GMO. And I mean, they've really just created a way to make money off of consumer fears of GMOs when like most consumers don't even really understand what it means in the first place. So anytime you create a label that says like non or free of, you know, consumers are obviously going to think whatever whatever isn't in there is somehow bad because like why else would you have that label you know so so you just like immediately the more you see non-gmo labels it's like well gmo must be something bad if they're specifically saying this isn't gmo yeah but in reality like gmo crops are just as safe and at least as nutritious as their non-gmo counterparts and the other thing with that non-gmo label is So they allow it to be put on anything, whether it has a GMO counterpart or not. So it is really confusing if if you don't really understand GMOs too, because there are only, I think now there's like only 11 crops that are actually GMO. And so when you're putting it on things like orange juice, like there are no GMO oranges. So it's like, (laughs) it's just kind of ridiculous. Like if it can, you know, a consumer might not know that, they see one with a non-GMO label and then there's one next to it that doesn't have a non-GMO label and somehow think the one that says non-GMO is healthier or something. And in reality, that like all the orange juice is going to be non-GMO because there are no GMO oranges. So not that it would be worse if it was GMO anyways, but it's just kind of, you know, funny because it's like they allow it on things that like literally couldn't be GMO. <laughs> so That one specifically is just such an arbitrary label. It creates so much unnecessary fear and confusion. And it's so difficult now to 
like educate about what GMOs are because like, you know, people do have so many biases around them just based on that label or what they've heard about them. So it's really difficult, you know, to, to educate people and like try to get them to understand like what it is. And it's like, it's definitely not something we need to be afraid of. So I would say, you know, there is, there's really absolutely no reason why you need to buy a product specifically with that label. It doesn't mean anything in terms of the health or the safety of the food. I feel like everybody in the audience is like breathing this big, deep breath because the next time they order groceries or go to the grocery store, they can just buy whatever they actually want. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it save is, money. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice. Like, I mean, I know I kind of had a hard time. It is difficult if you have been doing it for so long and you're just like, gosh, I just like, I feel like it's healthier, but it is so nice once you like understand that it's not. And like you said, just getting what you want, not just, I have so much less anxiety when I go grocery shopping and just like, I'm not afraid. I'm not feeling like guilty if I don't buy these labels. So I want to jump into some of the questions I received from my community, but is there any like really great food industry or food science, like facts or uh, quick things you wanted to mention before we dive into those? Not that I can think of right now. Okay, perfect. So I was even like writing, I was like jotting down my own questions for you, like as we were talking, so I'm like, (laughs) I'll save these for after. My first one was, do you, okay, so you go to the grocery store, you pick up your fruits and your veggies. Do you go home? Do you, what do you do with them? Do you just put them right into the fridge? Do you leave them on your counter? Do you wash them? What do you do? So it depends. So like berries and stuff, I, I don't wash them ahead of time because they can get moldy with the extra water on them. So I kind of wash them as I eat them. So, but yeah, I mean, really water is sufficient, like rinsing it under under your tap water is sufficient. You don't need to use any sort of special thieves cleaner or special fruit and veggie wash. That's $10. (laughs) Exactly. And none of those, um, like vegetable watches washes are actually like, none of them are FDA approved and the FDA just suggests rinsing it underwater. Like if they're things like potatoes and stuff, you can use like a brush to get like the dirt off and stuff, but yeah, just rinsing underwater is, um, sufficient. That's all I ever do. So I'm really glad that was your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So my next question, this is actually just my personal question, is about, so my husband, he's he's like, you drive me crazy with this. There is absolutely no difference between, so when we buy cow's milk, I always go for this like, you know, I'm like the DHA, the omega, the organic, for some reason for me, it's just like the milk. I don't know what my obsession is with this and hormone free because I get worried about like this hormone thing with kids. And do I even need to be worrying about that? Like what's the deal with that? No. So, so in, in milk, like there, well, really in any meat or milk, the extra 
like if they are using like RBST or something like that, I mean, I think most have just phased away from it just because like it has gotten a bad reputation, but in terms of like health wise, it's, it's not worse if that were to be in there. Like it doesn't affect our health as a human, if we're drinking that milk or in meat. So, I mean, so kind of, there are some ridiculous things too, like they aren't even allowed to be used in uh, pigs or chickens, um, poultry. So if you see like a no added hormone label on any of those, like none of it is going to be because they're not even allowed. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So they are allowed in beef cattle. So um, some beef cattle can have hormone implants. However, the meat that we end up eating, the difference in hormones, I mean, obviously all meat is going animals naturally have hormones. So the meat is going to have hormones, but the extra hormones added from that implant is like one, one billionth of a gram. It's like ridiculously low. So these things aren't impacting our health. They're not like raising the hormones like in the food to like high, like super high levels or anything like that. So it's really not anything that we need to be worried about. So regular milk it is. Yeah. So there are, and I actually have, I've, I made a post too, cause I I've seen like a statistic about organic milk being like 63% more omega threes, which like yeah. sounds great, but, um, I've done a few posts about the difference between like relative difference and absolute difference. So when you state something like 63% more, it's like 63% more than what? Because like 63% more than a small number is still a small number. So yeah. So basically when you do the calculations, like there isn't really a significant amount in milk to begin with. So 63% more still really, I mean, it's a little bit more, but like it's, it's not really enough to like make a difference in your overall diet, especially like in some cases when organic milk can be like twice the the price, (laughs) you know, it's like, in terms of that, I would say it's really, it's not a significant difference. Okay. Excellent. So next question is red dye and ADHD. I believe you did something on this on your feed. So let's talk about that. I feel like that's always something that's brought up. Yeah. So there's, there's a huge, it's really frustrating. You know, I've had a lot of people message me like people with ADHD, like that were put on super restrictive diets when they were younger because, you know, their parents thought had heard these things like, Oh, red causes ADHD. And like, first, I just want to make it clear, like no, uh, food dyes have been shown to cause ADHD. Like that's not how ADHD is caused. So there have been some studies showing a super weak correlation with hyperactivity, specifically in children that already have ADHD. So I think that's important to understand, like, it's not causing ADHD. Also, the I would say the correlation is very weak. Like, I would never say, you know, some people report it as like, yes, they definitely cause ADHD. And I don't think that the evidence can support that. So So I know in Europe, they have like a warning label on foods with specific colors saying something like it can cause hyperactivity or something. If you look at the study that that warning is based off of, it was a study um, 
I want to say it was like maybe 300 kids. And basically they were given these drinks with multiple colors in them, in addition to a preservative. And then teachers and parents observed their activity. And it's kind of ridiculous that 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 warning is based off of that, first of all, one study. Also, like there were so many variables involved in that, like each drink had three or four different colors. So they couldn't deduce from that, like which ones it even was, even if they did see a difference or, or if it was the preservative. So, and again, like it was, it was observations by teachers and parents and yeah. So like when I say it's a weak correlation, like it's based on studies like that. (laughs) And so you know, it is one of those ingredients that it isn't, it isn't necessary that you eat it. So if you do think that it causes something, you can always avoid it. I mean, they, they have to be on the label. So if there is red 40, it will have to be on the label. So, you know, by all means, like you can avoid it, but this hypothesis has been around since like the 1950s. And there have been so many studies that have been done on it. And it just, it doesn't confirm that hypothesis. And so, I mean, they have been studied a lot, like specifically this hypothesis too. And um, I think it's important to understand too, like kind of how the research is sort of, we study synthetic chemicals like so much more than natural. So when people also say like, oh, why don't they just switch it to natural? Like that's safer, that's healthier. Again, we can't just say like it's safer because it's natural. You know, some of the some of the most toxic things are natural. So we can't just assume that because like it's natural, it's safer. But also like we really don't have a lot of research like on these natural colors. And I just think it would be interesting to like, what if we tested that same hypothesis on natural colors? Would we would we still see that like weak correlation? So I just think it's interesting how there's just like, there's so much evidence on natural colors, or I mean, sorry, synthetic colors that, you know, you're bound to, there could be some studies that show a weak correlation, but then there's others that don't. So it's just very inconclusive. And I just think it would be interesting to kind of see like that hypothesis tested on natural too, because they're just really not tested as much as those synthetic ones. So they're all safe. Like again, sort of like the conventional organic kind of thing. It's like, they're all safe. I'm not saying like, they're not safe. You know, all food ingredients are tested for safety before they're approved. So they're all going to be tested. It's just that specifically the synthetic ones have been researched to a much larger extent. And I know you had mentioned that our food industry is very safe. What are the differences, if any, between like the EU and the US as far as the food industry? Like, are they more highly regulated compared to the US or is it roughly the same? Yeah. So that's, (laughs) I've done so many, oh man, I don't know if you're on TikTok, (laughs) but (laughs) there's so many videos. I've like, I've covered this topic so much. I'm yeah, but it's just, just random people on TikTok, like just these ridiculous videos of like, did you know that the, that the food in Europe, just like they ban all these chemicals that the U S allows. And it's like a lot of time, like when I debunk these videos, I would say like 90% of the time, the ingredients that these people say are banned actually aren't banned. 
So like, like red 40 isn't going to be labeled as red 40 in Europe. It's going to be an E number. So it's going to be E and then a three digit number. So I've made a few videos just kind of going over like, no, it's not banned there. It's just labeled differently. Yes, there are ingredients that are banned there that are approved here. There's also ingredients that are approved there and that are banned here. So I actually did a video specifically on colors because that one is always the one for some reason where everyone's always like, oh, Europe bans all these colors and we allow them. But what's interesting is Europe actually has more approved food colors than the U.S. has. So the U.S. actually has more more colors that are banned that that Europe uses. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I thought that was interesting because I actually didn't know that. And I was like, I want to look into this to see like, you know, what, what the difference is. And I was like, oh my gosh, like Europe actually, actually allows more colors <laughs> in their foods. You know, and that's not to say that their food is less safe because of that, because I think that's another misconception too. When you hear like a country is banning something, you just immediately think like it must be unsafe. But a lot of those decisions are very political or it's something that they, there's like an alternative ingredient that, that they produce in that country and they don't want competition from another country. So like they'll ban it. I mean, these things aren't always based on the, the fact that it's like unsafe. The other big difference I think it's important to understand between Europe uh, regulations and U.S. regulations is that Europe tends to take a more hazard-based approach, while the U.S. tends to take a more risk-based approach. And so risk equals hazard times exposure. So it is technically a more evidence-based approach because you're taking into account doses when you're analyzing risk because hazard, anything can be hazardous, right? Like water can be hazardous. The example that I like to use is, so I live in Minnesota. Sharks are obviously a hazard, right? They can harm humans. However, in Minnesota, my risk of being hurt by a shark is basically zero because I I would never encounter a shark in Minnesota. <laughs> so so I think that like, I, th- I always use that example to explain risk. So, so my risk is zero because I don't have any exposure to sharks, although sharks are a hazard. So Europe in some cases will ban something that is considered to be a hazard where um, the U.S. might continue to approve it because we have evidence that at the doses in foods, it's not a risk. So I think, yeah, that's, that's a difference. There's, there's pros and cons to each, each approach. I wouldn't necessarily say like one is better than the other, but I think the overall thing is that like, these are both places that have very, very safe food, some of like the safest food in the world. And so I always just get frustrated too, because it's like, we're, we're comparing countries that like, have such safe foods when like in reality there are countries that like have very unsafe foods. And so you're so right. It's just kind of ridiculous to like be comparing them in the first place, but (laughs) yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So when it comes to labels, 
are there any that we should be paying attention to? Attention to like, are there any that we should say, okay, I, I really should be looking for this label, or this one might matter to me overall. Like, is there? I think I think like ones to to look into are. I mean, yeah, I guess I would say just if you're interested in these ones, like to do more research on them, because I think there is some merit to like fair trade labels. You know, if you see anything with palm oil, making sure it's RSPO verified. Some of those things that I think have to do with like treating farm workers better and things like that, whether they actually mean what (laughs) the label says. Mm. sometimes yeah I mean definitely look into it I'm I'm not an expert on those labels by any means but I think if there are any labels to like pay attention to it would be those sort of labels that have to do with like the welfare of the farm workers or making sure they're getting you know uh, a wage they can live off of like things like that I, I wish there would be more labels in terms of that that are actually like making sure these people are in safe conditions and um, are getting paid enough. So yeah, I would say like fair trade possibly and like RSPO for palm oil. Excellent. Well, I think, oh no, I do have one more question. So is there anything, if you could change one thing about the food industry here in the US, what would it be? Is there anything that you have your heart set on that you would like to see changed? Um, I wish we didn't have (laughs) like organic labels, non-GMO labels. I always call them fear-based marketing labels because really, you know, they're scaring consumers about the alternative foods that are, you know, not organic and that are GMO. They're, they're essentially scaring consumers into buying them when consumers shouldn't be scared of the other thing in the first place. So I just really wish those weren't a thing because it also is frustrating that the restrictions surrounding organic a lot of times make it worse for the environment, not allowing for GMOs, not allowing for certain, you know, more effective uh, synthetic pesticides. Organic takes up so much more land than conventional because of these things. And so it is a lot worse for the environment. And I just think it's, it's not helping like these, these labels not only like aren't tell us telling us anything, but it's like these arbitrary restrictions that are essentially making it worse for the environment when I wish we could just be using like, you know, there are some good things that have come out of organic as far as, you know, learning some different things that, you know, conventional farmers can use. And I wish that we didn't have those restrictions so that like the most sustainable farming practices could just be used all the time versus like, well, I need to get this label. I need to be approved for this label. So I can't do this thing, you know, which is what happens in organic. And they're not allowed to use some of these practices that would be, um, you know, more sustainable. So yeah, I, I wish we could get rid of those labels. I mean, there's there's a whole, uh, yeah, I could get into things about like food deserts and stuff like that, but that's a whole nother <laughs> conversation. Just like making, I think too, like it would help getting rid of organic too. One of the biggest issues, right, is like getting affordable produce into areas where there is, you know, where there are food deserts and 
where there are, you know, a lot of people with like food insecurity and not only just, you know, building a grocery store that doesn't always help if you still can't afford that, but making it so it is affordable and it is within walking distance, you know, in places where somebody might not have a car to get to a grocery store, just, yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of things that could change within the food industry. And it's just, it's frustrating that it's not the things that get a lot of attention that are the actual issues with it. Yeah. And I mean, I I had an idea of a lot of these things from your profile, but it's just really, it's like a, a breath of fresh air to kind of hear all of it coming from you like firsthand to just kind of relax about all these things. <laughs> really, it's just like there's just all these things like you said just so much misinformation. I feel like with every topic out there now, it's not even oh, it's yeah. so incredibly wild. <laughs> and I applaud you because taking that head on and talking about it especially on social media is a very exhausting and sometimes thankless job. So I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it is. It is. It can be exhausting at times, but it's nice to hear too when people are like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm so relieved. Like, that's exactly why I started my page. So, yeah. So I'm going to ask you two questions. I ask all my interviewees these questions, and they don't have to be related to anything we talked about today. So the first question is, uh, what would you say to a new mom if you could give them one piece of advice? I would say (laughs) take everything you see online with a grain of salt because, I mean, just there's so many like mommy blogs out there and just so many things that can make you feel guilty or like you're not doing enough and you know, even in terms of just food, like, oh my gosh, I need to buy organic. And like, there's just so much out there. It's just like, I mean, even myself, I wish I wouldn't have been, you know, like certain like Facebook groups or like, I was like, why was I doing that to myself? Like, what the heck? Yeah. So just, yeah, you're doing enough and don't be, yeah, don't feel guilty for the mommy blogs you read online and try to stay away from them as much as you can. Yeah, I think that's great. And you know, it's it's so funny because I I have a lot of people in my community that will say I'm I'm practicing this new like social media detox and like so I'm taking all of August off and um I, you know I have some people saying like oh but I really just only follow like a, a few people and they're really helpful especially when it comes to motherhood topics and and it kind of hurts my heart a little bit a little. Just because I feel like, you know, we never needed all of this input before. We've we've done just fine, right? Reproducing and taking care of our children before this. And the information that you get is not always, I'm sure some of it is definitely helpful. You know, there's some pretty cool tricks of the trade that I've learned from like random people on the internet, but it doesn't outweigh the amount of misinformation or the guilt that you get from certain, you know, tidbits of information that you get. You know what I mean? It's like, does the positive outweigh the negative? And I would say like the misinformation, like far outweighs like accurate information, especially Mm -hmm. on social media platforms. So yeah, just take it all with a grain of salt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. The last question is if you could make one dinner for your family that everybody would eat, 
that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? Who that's a tough one. My daughter is very picky. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, she I'm trying to think of like what her favorite food is right now. Well, she just had grilled cheese tonight, so <laughs> a good grilled cheese <laughs> sandwich. There you go. <laughs> what do you usually make yours on? What what type of bread? Um, so we have it's like this oat nut bread that she really likes, so that's what we usually use. Yeah. Awesome. Actually, my husband makes her grilled cheese because he makes grilled cheese better than I do. <laughs> Isn't it funny? I like hardly ever made grilled cheese until I had kids. And like the first oh, time I did it, it. <laughs> I, I like royally messed it up. I'm like, oh, there's like an actual like science yeah, to no, this. I literally always forget about it and I burn it. And so he finally was just like, I'm making this from now on. I was like, go ahead. <laughs> it's all you, babe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Well, it was so great having you on and we hope you have a great night. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.